Welcome to the Abstract Doctors Podcast. Today, Dr. G and Dr. C welcome health journalist and COVID survivor, Jessica Ferger. You can learn more about Jessica at jessicaferger.com. Follow the Abstract Doctors on social media and visit our website, The Abstract Doctors, for more information and upcoming podcasts. The Abstract Doctors Podcast. The doctors are in. Open up your mind and say ah. Well, welcome. Um, today, uh, Dave, we have Jessica Berger with us. And uh, I read her article on Medium uh, about her experience with COVID and brain fog and uh, the uh, central nervous system type symptoms she she had and so she's been willing to talk and share with us because i mean this is the ultimate age of uncertainty nobody uh, we knew nothing about this virus and i'm sure there are many people who had similar experiences and also are worrying about uh, brain health so uh, uh welcome jessica thank you thank you for having me and, and Jessica, it, uh, this is Dave. It would be terrific uh, just kind of hearing your words, uh, what you went through, you know, not every medical detail, but just, just you know, kind of what it was like for you, you know, what, what, you, what, what your thoughts were, emotions, and, and more importantly, how are you doing now and how you're dealing with it so we could maybe just explore a little bit and have some of our listeners get a better appreciation, if that's okay. Sure. So at the very end of March... I, um, I got COVID and interestingly enough, so I have, I have temporal lobe epilepsy. I've had epilepsy since I was eight years old and, um, I'm also a health journalist. And so I've been from the beginning, I've been pretty up to date with all of the research and early on in the pandemic, there were some chatter that the virus could have a um, a detriment, detrimental effect on the central nervous system. So I kind of, I had that in the back of my mind and I was generally concerned about what I might experience if I got COVID. So frankly, none of this has been a huge surprise for me, but um, the day before I started running a fever, it was just a normal Saturday, I was uh, working and all of a sudden I started to um, feel like I was having, uh, like I was hyperventilating. My heart started beating really fast. And then a couple of seconds later, it felt like somebody had whacked me in the back of my head with a blunt object. And it had been, oh my gosh, over 10 years since I'd had any kind of seizure that I actually I've forgotten what a partial seizure is like. So I just kind of, I shrugged it off and um, didn't, you know, didn't really think about what was going on. Um, like everybody's under a lot of stress and like people are feeling not great, um, regardless of whether or not you have COVID. And I went to the supermarket to buy half and half and I arrived there and I had absolutely no idea why I was there. I just stood at the entrance of the supermarket and thought, what am I doing here? And I just waited a couple of seconds and then finally remembered why I was there. Um, and the next morning I woke up, I felt 
awful. And I took my temperature and I had a fever. Um, and I had basically all of the symptoms that, you know, we've all read about and that have been reported. Um, I live in New York City and it was early in the pandemic, so I couldn't get a test. Uh, so I had two weeks, about two weeks or so of illness. Jessica, were your symptoms, and you said the, the, the symptoms that everybody knows about, were, were they predominantly pulmonary or breathing, coughing? Because those were, are what those those are the ones everything as the as I, I don't you know there's a really interesting study in um, that was published in the Lancet that looked at the trajectory of where patients experience generally experience all of the symptoms and regardless of how severe your the viruses for you how severe the illness is there seems to be this very specific. Um, pattern that symptoms follow. So you get the virus, you feel like you're pretty sick for like until day three, then you start to have, you start to feel better. And then well, day three or four, and then two days later, you get even sicker. And that point is usually when people are ending up in the hospital. Interestingly enough, it's a really interesting study. Um, I never had to go to the hospital. I ne never needed to seek medical care outside of my home. I, I used telemedicine, which was really great, and I can't say enough great things about it. Um, but yeah, I had it hurt to breathe in. That was not. That was really what you know is is like the inflammation of the of the chest wall lining, which is very common with viruses. I had a fever. I had awful migraines. I had body aches. I um, had coughing, congestion. I had loss of uh, you know smell and taste. All of all of the the things that you read about. How are you doing now? Um, now I am doing fine, but, um, you know, after I recovered from the virus, which, uh, was pretty rough a couple of weeks later, I started to develop all of these neurological symptoms. Um, and it kind of, in many ways, it kind of felt like I, I was sick again. It was very strange. Um, and I had another couple of partial seizures. I had relentless migraines that just never went away. What What's your, uh, let's, uh, I'm going to use sort of layman's term. What's your sort of your worry level about two years from now currently? Hmm. To, for, in terms of my own personal health? Your brain health. Uh, are brain you worried health. that this has uh, caused anything permanent? I don't know. It's, it's really hard to say that we need to study that, you know, no, we, I, I'm asking if you're worried about it. I'm not asking if, if you believe your brain has been damaged. I'm asking if, if you're worried or not. I don't think that it's worth me worrying at the moment because if we all sat around and worried what a virus did, you know, what it, what it'll mean for our health five years from now, we would all walk around complete nutcases because I, every virus that, Pretty much every virus that we know about has can can impact the brain. Right. Well, and and actually, that's the best answer you could ever give, and 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 it needs to be repeated because you know you know the, the we're never gonna 
understand the COVID virus's effect on the brain. And, and it's not because we're not gonna try and spend a lot of money and publish in The Lancet, it's because it's almost impossible to study that in living humans and the folks that are gonna, the, the, the blank percent that pass away are gonna have such effects on their brain from being in the ICU and that, that, it's, that it really isn't gonna be possible to separate them. And, and that's true of all uh, viruses uh, of, of this type where they're, they're having multiple effects, you know, and they're having effects even when the viral load, meaning the actual virus in the body is minimal to not even detectable. Um, so is it the virus or is it their byproduct? Is it the body's response to it? But importantly, the overwhelming majority of people are going to do amazingly well in two years. And worrying about it, you know, overreading, too, you know, you're a health, you know, research person, so you're going to read the articles. But reading all of these pre preliminary articles, and I've read possibly not many, as many as you, but lots of them, they're, they're very bad. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're trying their best to put stuff out. And as you know, every article that's written about COVID is accepted at present. I, I published one within literally a week of writing it because it's open submission. So there are some wonderful ones in Lance. It's an amazing journal, but they're actually just open in um, publishing things because they want to put stuff out there. Um, I am. And, and I will say, as a, I've been a health journalist for over 10 years, it is mind-boggling, like, the situation with, I know we're not, this is not, this is just me talking about um, what I'm seeing, the amount of preprints yep. that are getting to the press, yep. somebody needs to stop it. Someone yep. needs to just put a stop on it because... <laughs> Journal it like journalists that have never covered health are covering the yeah. pandemic right now, and and the coverage is so bad, yep. Yep. and it is we are doing just such a disservice. And that's why we're doing this podcast. No, it isn't right, right. But, but, but but you're you're absolutely right, and it, it's you know it's it's you know separate from the virus. Whether you're studying hyperbaric oxygen, whether you're studying you know uh, you know medicinal oils, whether you're studying you know. Um, you know, moxibustion for, you know, for, for improving um, um, birthing rates, which is a fascinating area of research. You know, if you don't, you know, kind of keep it in perspective, really let the, the healthcare environment and scientific press kind of chew on it before it gets out there and then have responsible presentations to the public, we're going to churn up waters that, you know, are, 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 are um, at best murky. And, and, you know, it, it, and Ron and I, Ron Garber and I were talking beforehand, it's actually less important if this is 92% physiologic and 8% psychologic or extraterrestrial logic. I don't care what. But what's important is you experience and people are experiencing these things, and we need to figure out how to get folks through it, reassure them. You know, and one of those things is, yes, it's going to be good science, but also, you know, we've seen exactly the things you're talking about. For generations, the, you know, the words you're using, the phraseology is not unique to COVID. I think Ron wants to talk. I'm talking too much. Ron. Yeah, no. And 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 just I want to repeat it one more time. Your answer was fantastic. And I would call it an incredibly healthy answer. Um, you know, th this COVID moment is, is about uncertainty. We've never had greater uncertainty. So for the listeners, uncertainty is coupled with stress excess stress is going to harm your health and your ability to fight a future infection. So what Jessica is saying is, and what we completely agree, what we wanted to talk about today was 
we don't exactly know everything and we're going to have to accept uncertainty. And if we worry about two, every day from here out to two years from now, and we read every marginally print article that creates more vagueness. So vagueness is anxiety provoking. So I just, you know, I want to thank you once again for being on. I think we're done. Jessica yeah. nailed it. <laughs> no, but I will, I will say, so, you know, my neurologist who I've been seeing, he's a neuropsychiatrist. I've been seeing him for pretty much over 10 years. And, you know, he, he does not feel like there's any reason for me to have any concern. It's, you know, I'm, I suffer, I was suffering from what is a very probably ultimately very common, you know, encephalopathy, like from, from the virus, um, most likely. And you're shaking. I can see you're shaking your head. Yeah. Now. Yeah. I, 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 I just, that word is, is a, is a, you know, a scientifically charged word. I mean, I mean, again, it just means, you know, having some abnormality of, of the brain. So I guess that's true, but, but I just, I'm just concerned about using, a, I would just say you were having you know, uh, cognitive. I, so, but I, okay. So to, to describe it in a better way, I, at one point I told my neurologist, you know, I've hit my head before I, years ago, I was really into anti-gravity yoga and I fell on my head hanging upside down, um, and gave myself like a, you know, a, a minor, uh, like traumatic brain injury, like not quite a concussion, but probably maybe a concussion who the hell knows. But in many I could ways, I probably tell you. But yeah, anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. In many ways, this felt very similar. It felt, you know, there were nights where I yeah. couldn't sleep because I could literally feel my brain throbbing, um, and you know, so my brain was injured. Whatever, regardless if that was the virus or that was that my body. Mm -hmm. dealing with the virus it's yep. probably both yep. we're still figuring that and we're never going to figure that out really right. um and like any other part of your body typically it heals and the fact that i have no symptoms now is a very good indication and i think the brain and you guys will know better i think the brain is an interesting organ because it lets it really lets you know when it's sick Unlike a lot of other parts, you know, you, if you have no symptoms, chances are your brain is functioning okay. Amen. There, there's, there's, really, there's really no reason to open up the head and check it out then, in my opinion. Um, so I, I feel pretty hopeful and it's certainly not keeping me up at night. Um, you know, all of these neurodegenerative conditions are common regardless. And if I you know, develop Alzheimer's in my late 60s or early 70s, I don't necessarily think I'm going to turn around and say, oh, it's because I had COVID in my 40s. Right. It would actually be more likely closely related to the buying of half and half that, that you were doing <laughs> rather than the COVID just because the, anyway, but, but no, I think you're, you're right on the money and, and, and recognizing and accepting the fact that we won't know these answers. Right. That acceptance is the first monster step on the journey. Uh, by the way, I'm pretty sure you did have a concussion based on the way, what you just described. Yeah, but even that, even <laughs> that, you went, you got through it right. and you know, you, you accepted those symptoms and you worked through them. You hated them when you were having them. And, but, but, and you, by the way, you have a great neuropsychiatrist if, if he, what he told you, cause that's just, Again, we need someone with more 
abnormal reactions to things. You're a perfect will. I will tell you, so, and I'll let you guys interpret this because you're the, you're really the expert. So we did, we ended up doing an MRI of my brain and I'm kind of an interesting subject because I happen to have MRIs from right. many years. My last one was in 2011. And so that was a great baseline. And the MRI that they did a couple of months ago, it, you know, my neurologist didn't even see the, the, the findings. His colleague who spends his day reading MRI after MRI saw it. There were some, uh, slight structural abnormalities to the both hippocampi and they're they were so so subtle that you could not even pick them up probably well, and and fascinating interesting ron and i were talking about that right before you get on too yeah. is that you know the the amygdala and hippocampus is where the stressors that you went through both mm -hmm. the viral load stressors of physiologic as well as the psychological of being yeah. sick and stuff the, obviously, that's where it's coming in. That's where stress, PTSD, anxiety comes in. And as part of the research I do in the, with the military, we're finding exactly that, those subtle mm -hmm. structural changes in that pathway in people with and without concussion, but who have stress disorders. Yeah. So we yeah. are seeing exactly that. And we, we there is no imaging study that can discern whether it's actually physiologic psychological stress blah, blah, blah. but it does occur and it will actually go back to quote normal or your baseline likely over time um if, if it's related to this because we, we're seeing those changes I think, again ron's got his hand up so i'll shut up no 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 fantastic and I, for the listeners again i'd like to break down like what i do in the clinic mix a little psychology with a little mindfulness and what you do, Jessica, beautifully, uh, intuitively, um, I break it down to past, present, and future. And you really only have control of the present. And so you have this concussion in the past. You, with PTSD people, I have them accept the amygdala exactly as it is. You know, the amygdala is there to protect you. And it's trying to remind you to beware of dogs because they do bite, you know. Um, zero gravity yoga can cause concussion. So you have to be careful <laughs> the next time you do that. So it's all about the shoes. It's got to be the shoes. So, so, so what you've done, what I would think you've done is you've accepted these uh, up to now three prior insults. Um, you can't really control two years from now. And and so now you're living in the moment. What do you do with this conflicted MRI report and these three past events? Now, if you spend too much time looking on that MRI, you will create fear of future and hurt your brain. So if you're living in the moment, the healthiest choice is to first accept reality, the past, that you have no control of the past. And then what do I do today to be healthy? And once again, you're choosing not to worry about the future. You're choosing not to spend too much time on that, on those MRIs uh, because people, I mean, they come to us all the time, whether it's the back or the brain um, and it gets read 50 different ways. Five doctors will give you seven opinions. Right. Um, and my patients come so many times with, I've seen so many doctors they say it's nothing 
And that doesn't reassure them. It terrifies them mm-hmm. because we haven't given them a, a breakdown. Well, and yeah. I, would, I would add that, uh, unfortunately, you know, uh, you know, folks that let's 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 take the assumption that the MRI is showing a, a new change and that we can directly link it to COVID. And that because of that, you know, you could be, quote, fearful that in the future something might happen. Right? Let, let's let's I, I don't think that would be a healthy way, but people do it all the time. But unfortunately, the literature, the science, the test, the, the studies don't support that people who are in that space will actually do anything to mitigate that future risk other than worry about it. In other words, if their wonderful neuropsychiatrist that you had said to you, you know, um, we can't change the past. In the present, you're doing well, but the future could bode, you know, that you have an elevated risk, as you said, for earlier onset uh, dementia, right? Well, there are a number of things that you could do, whether it's continuing to do the yoga with gravity, uh, whether it's being on a, a healthy diet, whether it's doing some sort of exercise, whether it's making sure your sleep-wake cycles are good, whether it's managing any stress you have, you know, all the, 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 the seven or nine things that have been shown to reduce risks of dementia in every human being. But even people that have a mildly elevated risk or believe they do or have a genetic history or whatever it is, those people don't change their behaviors um, until they've gotten to an acceptance that they're going to want to set up their future lives like that. So it isn't fear that motivates them, I guess, is the factor. And, and you know, that's what many clinicians try to get. Say, well, I'm going to, you know, let's plant the seed. That doesn't work. What we have to do is, you know, have you have the, the patient or the human being through something called motivational interviewing, understand what's your motivation to prevent your future risk? Because there are things that could be done, you know, if you have that belief. And 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 I wish we could use fear as one of those, but it it doesn't. So I'm glad you don't have any. It doesn't bring you any value other than not getting bitten by dogs. There's so many variables though, because the yeah. looking scientifically like the MRI could be the findings could be because of COVID, but they could also be because I've had epilepsy my entire yeah. life. It's the same area. Yep. It could also be because the image quality is so much better now than even just five years ago, which is really what my neurologist wanted to point out to me. But right, we'll, good do a, for him. we'll do a follow up in six months and I can keep you posted. But yeah. he was very interested in, in fact, and this really excited me. He said that if the findings are no longer there, he wants to write me up as a case study, which I thought was mm-hmm. pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's actually a technique called harmonization that's very big now in the imaging world, which we're doing, uh-huh. where, where, where you can take the quality of, a, of an MRI and the calibration that's used and harmonize or bring it in sync with the newer version. Oh, it's not perfected. Our beloved colleagues at Harvard are still working on it and banging it through, but, but it is a way to try to overcome that. Um, and, you know, I'd be, I'll write you up even, even if the MRI isn't different. I, you know, I'm not fussy, <laughs> but, but it's, it, it's good to look at. But, but, but I do want to touch on, yeah, there's variables of, of everything in life, right? This, you know, what, what causes the weather, what causes the stock market, et cetera. But still, people at some point want to say, what could I do to control my financial portfolio? What could I do to dress right for the weather? What could I do to reduce my risk of getting uh, having a new seizure or of getting uh, um, d- dementia? So I think it's the responsibility of the folks on this call, as well as the outside world, but to, to, to present those variables that we can control, even if they're contributing 2%, 30%, 
you know, whatever percent to the risk. I do think it's what we start somewhere. I'm sorry, Jessica, I interrupted you. Oh, I was just going to say that I think the the bigger uh, long-term risk on our health as a, as a population isn't necessarily COVID, it's the quarantine lifestyle. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, 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 we're, all, was, we're all drinking no, too much. Yeah, although eating. actually the, the rates of suicide have declined during the quarantine phase because people aren't quote as stressed about going to work or about the outside world. That'll quickly change as soon as we- but We're stressed. eating like crap, we're drinking too much and we're sitting all day. I just bought a Peloton and it's like the best, the best thing I've done. It was like my, my gift to myself for surviving. Let, let, let me say one more positive, important comment about how you're coping with this. Um, and so Dave's heard me talk about this before. The fundamental emotion of that fight or flight response is fear. The opposite emotion is trust. And so I will say trust is parasympathetic. So how do you get parasympathetic in this situation? Again, what you're choosing to do, Jessica, is I want people to also hear trust that the brain can grow. When I first came uh, into medical school, we were just starting to accept that the brain can grow. And that's, and so the message is trust that the brain can grow. And what do you have control of? You only have control of living healthy this one moment. Mm -hmm. So getting on a Peloton, except <laughs> instead of uh, extending an arm out to a fourth drink, um, is a healthy choice to live now. And Okay, it's incremental, but if you live healthy one day at a time, two years from now, that brain can grow as opposed to deteriorate while worrying. And Jessica, I really thank you for, for responding to when I reach out. Thank you for writing that article. Um, I'm curious to know, because this seems to be your, your wheelhouse, what about, I mean, I think so many people are suffering from loneliness right now and depression. That seems like it's going to have really bad effects on brain health. Yeah. Well, if I may, I'll start. Well, I mean, people have been suffering from loneliness for about 50 plus years sure. as our society has changed. Sure. And, and it is a major factor in neurodegeneration. Social isolation has been mm -hmm. identified as one of the top nine factors. And the flip of it, which is socialization, um, has, has been identified as one of the seven factors to reduce the risk of neurodegeneration to include things. And some of, and some of the ways that we can um, cross those bridges are, can be through creativity. Because when you're, if you are isolated physically, psychologically, otherwise, all right, you know, choice one is to interact with others, interact with pets, interact with the environment, you know, whether that's gardening or, or running, those are ways. But, but in addition, just using your brain, nurturing it through creativity, surrounding it in a healthy nutrition, letting it rest and, and be de-stressed are all vital. But the human contact, human to human contact and human to non-human species contact has consistently be sh been shown to reduce suicide rates, pain rates, uh, uh, dysfunction after concussion, brain injuries, but most importantly in this conversation, uh, just the changes in the brain, the risk for neurodegeneration. And that's one of the major factors behind the abstract athlete is to bring together all of these elements, athletes and artists and 
veterans and service members appreciate the fact that it's not one of these things. It's all of them. Mm -hmm. You can't just do exercise. You can't just sleep. You can't just be social. You certainly shouldn't even be drinking, but, but being creative together and being creative even in your isolation is vital. So, so it's, it's nicely studied. It's a challenging area of research, but it's been pretty consistently shown that even simple socialization attempts, you know, just, just talking to your neighbor in the other porch, obviously calling your family, your children on the phone, dialoguing uh, are important. Ron, to you. Yeah, no, that's excellent. And I'd like to add to that, that there isn't any doubt the data is clear that loneliness and depression are tightly linked. There's no doubt about that. So let's break it down the way I broke it down before. And what I'll have people do is separate loneliness with the fear of future loneliness. That current loneliness is clearly unhealthy and it sucks. And we accept, we don't run away that this feeling hurts and it feels terrible right now. And then that's how we teach the breathing techniques to, to uncouple this current fear. Once you can uncouple this current fear and reduce the physiologic uh, uh, feedback loop of stress, then you can make the clearer decision about the, what I call the fear of future loneliness. The fear of future loneliness is the gasoline and the current loneliness is the fire. And with the breathing, you can minimize the fire and the sprinkling of the fear. So I have them break away and accept, and let's talk about it. Don't run from it, feel it. The loneliness sucks, but it is unhealthy to let the fear of future loneliness consume you. And that's how I break it down. Mm -hmm. And I, tried to stop, but I regularly keep talking. So no, I, 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 you're fanning intelligence and ideas into our minds, man. So, so, so that's how I break it down with my patients. And, you know, they have some control of the physiologic response of current loneliness. They may not be able to affect today's loneliness, um, but they have to recognize that worrying about the fear of future loneliness is for poor health. And, with that, I'd like to thank you again. And Jessica, if you have any final comments, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Um, my only final comment will be just be directed to people who are concerned about getting COVID, and this is even talking beyond neurological um, symptoms. I, I cannot say it enough. I urge anyone who starts to develop symptoms of COVID that they immediately get under the care of a physician through telemedicine. I cannot stress that enough. Doesn't matter if you think you have a mild illness, get yourself under the care. Get, get on a video chat with a primary care physician. Every hospital has set up COVID clinics and they are so sophisticated now. I wrote about one in the city where they're, they're, they're having people from hospitals drop off pulse oximeters so that you can help track um, the progression of your illness. You want a doctor to make the call of whether you need to leave your home and get treatment. You, this is not the time to consult Dr. Google.
that's it. Uh, uh, right on. And, and also, while we're on the on the on the path of of, of uh, what's the best thing to do, please wear masks. Right. Yes. Please socially <laughs> distance. You know, follow the simple criteria. Yeah, you got your mask. I've, I've got a towel. That's all I got right here. But 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 yeah, and see 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 your healthcare professional. You know, it doesn't have to be a specialist, right? You know, right away. But make sure that your healthcare professional, whoever that is, you know, um, is you're in touch with, you feel comfortable with, and is linked into these amazing COVID centers. And we've got a wonderful one at Virginia Commonwealth University. They're all over in the cities. And you know, th this isn't time for quackery. This isn't time for being cavalier or tough or casual. And, and you know anything that folks who are listening to this can do to get folks that don't have access to these services, you know, inner city folks, underrepresented minorities, please let's help people to access these services uh, for their sake as well as for all of our sakes. Let, let's be the country we've always talked about, and let, let's help everyone. Um, and I know the people on this call are all about that, and uh, the beloved Dr. Fauci is, but maybe not some others. So. So again, I want to echo uh, Ron's amazing uh, um, discussion and, and thanking you, Jessica. You really, really contributed uh, to our to our insights, but also to the greater good uh, to this podcast. So thank you so much. And I hope I can write you up in six months because you're all positive. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you to Jessica Ferger for joining Dr. G and Dr. C today on the Abstract Doctors podcast. For more information on Jessica, please visit jessicaferger.com. The Abstract Doctors is produced by The Abstract Athlete. For more information on podcasts, events, and subscription boxes, please visit theabstractathlete.com. And as always, follow us on social media platforms under The Abstract Doctors and The Abstract Athlete. The office is now closed, but join us for our next appointment when Dr. G and Dr. C welcome PhD and associate professor at Stanford, pain scientist, international speaker, psychologist, and author, Beth Darnell.